Jeremy, one of the um, church elders here at Egbeth Community Church. Um, big welcome to you from me as well. Um, <clears throat> uh, we are uh, we're kind of in Easter holiday time, aren't we? So um, uh, next week is Easter Sunday, and uh, this week we are uh, thinking kind of in the run-up to Easter um, uh, of, uh, of Palm Sunday, and that's why we've uh, um, uh, read uh, that passage um, from Matthew chapter 21. Um, let me ask you a question first of all, um, which is this. If, if you had one chance to show the world what you were really like, what would you do? If you had one chance, one opportunity, maybe one newspaper advert or one tweet or one TikTok video or one Instagram post or whatever your broadcast method of choice is, what would you say to the world that you wanted them to know about yourself. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, I don't want anyone to know anything about me, thank you. I'm just happy to hide away. But if all the eyes of the world were on you and you had the chance to sum yourself up, what would you want them to know? It's a a big question, I guess, isn't it? I don't know what kind of things are going through your mind. Um, But in, in today's passage, we've got something a little bit like that with Jesus. Jesus, for for so long in his ministry, kind of operated a little bit underneath the radar. Uh, He didn't often intentionally come out in public, and often you find himself kind of hiding away, as it were, or not wanting people to to see him so much or or hear everything about him right now because the time wasn't, wasn't ready yet. But now the time has come for Jesus to show the people what he is like. He wants to say something about himself, and what will it be? The last few chapters of Matthew's Gospel, which we're kind of just jumping into kind of randomly today, so we haven't been seeing it over the last few weeks, but but they've been building up to this moment. So Jesus' journey to Jerusalem started a few chapters back, and he's talked about it several times. Just flick back one page, one chapter in your Bibles to to chapter chapter 20, verse 17. And Jesus has been saying this, As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the disciples aside and he said to them, see, we are going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. This is the moment that everything has been been building towards. Jesus is coming to town and he's not going to sneak in the back door this time. He's coming in the front gates with, with a message that he wants people to see and hear. And the theme of what he's going to say is in our passage in verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, say to Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Behold your king. Whenever the Bible says behold, it's, it's like underlining it, putting words in bold, saying, guys, this is important. I want you to see this and hear this. Look at your king, Jerusalem. That's what's going on here. Jesus is coming to town as king and saying, look at me. I've got something to say to you. Now, of course, the king normally, uh, in in everyday kind of life and culture, makes a grand entrance, doesn't he? Um, King Charles has been in the news this week. I don't know if you saw that. He was planning a visit to to France. Um, But believe it or not, the French, sorry, Maddie, were striking. And uh, they literally, the people who were in charge of, and I'm quoting, the red carpets, the flags, and the furnishings were on strike and were refusing to provide those things for King Charles. And so they called the visit off because it wouldn't have looked right. They thought there might be rubbish in the streets because the bin men were on strike as well and all sorts of things. Um, 
So King Charles' visit to France was cancelled because public image when it comes to royalty is important, isn't it? I can't get um, away think, uh, calling King Charles King Charles yet. Um, he's still Prince Charles in my mind. I kind of have this, uh, this phrase in my mind, uh, the, the king formerly known as Prince, um, which, <laughs> which I think is quite amusing, if, you, if you're of a certain age at least. Anyway, um, but the whole episode, moving on to Jesus, is Jesus saying to us, I am the king, I am your king, this is what you need to know about me. Because as we'll see, Jesus engineers the way that he's going to arrive in Jerusalem in a particular way to make a particular point. And so as, as we uh, listen to these inspired words from the Bible this morning, listen to Jesus saying, look at me, behold your king. And so our responsibility is to listen to him and to, to look at him as we look at this episode. And, and to ask ourselves, is this how I see Jesus? This is what Jesus is saying to me about himself. Have I understood him in the way in which he wants me to understand him? Do I know him as he wants me to know him? I guess another related question is, will we bow our knee before this king? Not the Jesus of our imagination or of our preference, but this king. And we'll see three things about Jesus, the king. Now, the first thing we'll see is the totality of his rule. The totality of his rule. Jesus ruled over everything. And there are a number of ways this little section shows us just how total Jesus' rule is. Um, verse 1 to 3, let's uh, look down at those. When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, just a tiny little village on the edge of Jerusalem, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, Immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. A colt, a young donkey. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. In many ways, it's a very tiny little episode, isn't it? Most people didn't see it happen, but it's completely astonishing when you think about it. He comes to a tiny village in the countryside... And he happens to know the exact whereabouts of two donkeys in it. He knows that one will be a mum and the other will be a child donkey. He knows they'll be tied up. And he knows that if anyone says anything to the disciples who might look like they're stealing these donkeys, they will immediately allow the donkeys to be taken once the disciples say that the Lord needs them. He'll send them at once. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? How does Jesus know this? Who is this? King Jesus rules so completely that, that somehow he, he, he knows all of that detail. He's king over animals and, and the whereabouts of them. He's king over people and how they're going to respond in the future. Jesus is king over everything. And even over the events leading up to his death, which is another level of incredibleness again. So that's one way in which we say, uh, see Jesus' rule over everything, his knowledge of things which only a, a, an all-ruling, all-knowing king could know. But there's more too. Um, look, look at verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The reference there is Zechariah 
chapter 9, verse 9, and it's worth a flick back to Zechariah, one of the final books of the Old Testament. If you've got one of the uh, church Bibles, it is on page 797. So do have a flick back, Zechariah chapter 9. So hundreds and hundreds of years before uh, Jesus um, walked the earth, uh, the prophet Zechariah prophesied of, uh, to Jerusalem at a time when Jerusalem was oppressed by their enemies and said, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble mounted on a donkey, And then he goes on into verse 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations and his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So see what Jesus is saying as he, as he uh, intentionally plans his entrance to Jerusalem to, to, to fulfill these words Jesus is showing us, and Matthew is showing us, that Jesus is the king of not just Jerusalem, but the king of Israel. His rule shall be from sea to sea, not just Israel, but to the ends of the earth. He is king everywhere. He's king over everyone, and he is king everywhere. There's another way, I think, in which Jesus is showing us the totality of his rule as well. An another story back in the Old Testament um, in 1 Kings chapter 1. We won't turn to it now, but you, you might want to look at it later if you're not familiar with it. In, in 1 Kings chapter 1, um, King David, the, the, uh, the great king of Israel, was, was dying. His reign was coming to an end. And King Solomon, his son, had been anointed as his successor. So King Solomon was God's appointed king to be next. But other people had kind of muscled in on, on the situation and tried to set themselves up as king instead. And in 1 Kings chapter 1, how did David demonstrate that Solomon was the true king? Well, he set Solomon on a donkey and rode him into Jerusalem. Okay? Jesus is, is picking up that same kind of image here. Who is really king? The one riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. There's loads of other people setting themselves up as king, but no, Jesus is the real king. Whoever else in Jerusalem at the moment is pretending to be king, whether it be Romans, whether it be other Jewish leaders, no, Jesus rules totally to the exclusion of everyone else, which of course includes us, doesn't it? Because we all like to muscle in on Jesus' rule as well, setting ourselves up as, as little mini-kings. But Jesus says, no, that's, that's not the kind of king I am. I'm the king over everyone, over everything, everywhere. This is my throne. I rule. So the totality of Jesus' rule is the first thing we see. The second thing is the humility of Jesus' rule. The humility of Jesus' rule. Um, I know that Donald Trump is something of a, of a pantomime villain. Um, uh, th there is a story of Donald Trump, and I don't, I don't know exactly how true it is, because there's lots of things on the internet that you can read about Donald Trump, and you're never entirely sure which of them are, are, are true, are you? But anyway, it, it, it is said that he, he said, I am the humblest person I've ever met. Um, comparing himself, I think, to the Pope in that at, at, at the time. Um, now, 
we, we laugh and we, and, and, and we joke about Donald Trump, don't we? Um, but we've all seen that same irony in ourselves, haven't we? You, I've, I've had that conversation so many times where you kind of laugh and joke about saying, oh yes, I'm doing really well at being humble in my Christian life at the moment. And of course, the minute you say that, the minute you, someone else says, well, actually, you're not being humble at all. Humility is like that, isn't it? But with Jesus, there's something completely different about his humility. Of course, for one, Jesus has no need to be humble, unlike Donald Trump and unlike any of us. When we admit our faults, that's just honesty, that's reality, isn't it? Humility isn't just about admitting your faults, and it's not about that at all for Jesus, because he had none. Humility is being willing to use whatever you have in order to serve others. To set yourself aside and put others first. And Jesus engineers this whole donkey incident in order that he might say, behold, your king is coming to you. He's humble. He wants us to see his humility. Uh, Not a war horse, not a mighty show of power, but a young donkey. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he want us to know that about him? In a few weeks, we'll be sat around our TVs watching uh, King Charles be, be crowned. Our whole day will be saturated with, with pomp and money and grandeur. To be fair, there will probably be some really helpful pointers to Jesus in the, the liturgy of that service, because uh, we should be grateful that throughout uh, our nation's history there, there has been much uh, written into our constitution and our liturgies and things like that for events like that which are going to point to Jesus in, in many ways but the general feel of the day is very much going to be look at Charles isn't he great isn't our country rich isn't this all just wonderful isn't it great being British with all of this stuff going on it's going to be look, look, at, look at this aren't we great well, when you're sat there watching that, if you, if you do, who knows if you are going to be interested or not, but cast your mind back to this passage and ask, why is it that Jesus would choose to draw attention to himself in a different way? Why would he want to draw attention to his humility rather than his impressiveness? Well, it, I, th- I think there are probably a few reasons for that. It does seem that Jesus is perhaps intentionally mocking the Romans a little bit in this, because in Roman culture there was this, there was this culture, uh, this tradition of grand entrances into cities by conquering emperors. The Apostle Paul talks about them in, in some of his letters. Triumphal processions, he calls them. There would have been horses, there would have been chariots, there would have been captured slaves kind of trailing behind, everything just demonstrating, I have won the victory, I am amazing, look at me. Shows of power and authority. Look at me. Look at me, the emperor would be saying. And Jesus is here is saying, look at me, look at me. He is saying that. But he's saying, not look how powerful I am, but look how humble I am. I don't think there's anything that marks Jesus' leadership and rule out from all other forms of leadership and rule than his humility. He is going to rule in a completely different way. 
bringing peace, as Zechariah was talking about, but not by, not by might, but by service. So this was a bit of a pop at people like the, the, the Romans, but it was a message to all other wannabe rulers too. As, um, as we've already seen, Jesus very much has them in his sights. And this is a major theme of, of this section of Matthew's Gospel. Again, just turn back one page uh, to chapter 20 and verse 25. Um, this is a little incident where uh, James and John, two of Jesus' kind of most famous disciples, if you like, that, that their mother comes up to Jesus and says, could you just give James and John, my boys, could you give them a, a special place in heaven, please? And Jesus says in verse 25, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man, that's me, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, all of us who wield any power at all, whether it's in home, whether it's in the church, whether it's in work, whether it's at school, we must take note of this humility and and imitate it. So Jesus wants to demonstrate what true Christian leadership is, is like. He wants to mark himself out as different. But of course, most of all, he's pointing to his death, his death on the cross just five or six days into the future from this incident. Because the reason that he has come to Jerusalem to take up his place as king is going to be because he's taking his place as a king on a cross, not in a palace. So Palm Sunday is preparing us for that ultimate act of humility on Good Friday, which of course wasn't an accident or a blip in the plan, but it was the plan all along. So Jesus is saying to us, behold, your king is coming to you. Behold him, he's going to die on a cross. They're words which we would have heard so many times over the the decades, the years, however long you've been coming to to, to church, being a Christian for, and yet they are completely extraordinary, aren't they? Behold your king. Look at him be your king as he dies on a cross, the humble king. Um, I've already talked about the artist formerly known as Prince in passing. Um, Let me talk about another famous artist of a slightly different nature, Graham Kendrick. Do you remember Graham Kendrick? Christians of the 80s and 90s were brought up on Graham Kendrick songs. He was a prolific uh, Christian songwriter. Uh, He's got something of a bad rep as a a purveyor of fine Christian cheese. Um, But one of his lines will forever stick with me. Um, Hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. Hands that created everything we see, flung stars into space to cruel nails, surrendered. The one who rules and reigns over everything chooses to use that power to serve us. We could just chew on that, couldn't we, for, for, for so long. He chooses to do that for us. 
the humility of the king. I don't know about you, but I I think we can trust a king like that. I think we can love a king like that and give ourselves to him and bow the knee to him. Let's see one more thing about Jesus' rule, which is thirdly, the misinterpretation of his rule. So Jesus' rule is total, Jesus' rule is humble, and it is grossly misinterpreted. It seems at first glance, doesn't it, that this entry into Jerusalem goes very well for Jesus. In the second half of the the passage there from verse 6, uh, the disciples obey Jesus com- completely, uh, and then there's this, this kind of procession, the equivalent of the red carpet that uh, King Charles uh, never got, of cloaks and branches from the trees. Palm Sunday gets its name from that. Um, and the people are shouting and singing his praises. Um, they've, uh, they've ripped their coats off uh, in, in the way that my girls do as soon as they come in from school and flung them on the floor but in honor of Jesus. And they recognize who Jesus is, it seems. Verse 9 there, Hosanna, praise to the son of David. Hosanna is also a phrase which kind of means save us, so that they seem to know that, that, that this man can save them. Blessings to him, Hosanna in the highest. And the whole city, verse 10, is stirred up saying, who is this, what's going on? This guy must be important. It all looks like a great success. But, of course, as we've seen already, it's impossible to think about Palm Sunday without thinking about what happens in the few days afterwards. These same people who praise him on Sunday will kill him on Friday. And he'll be lying stone cold in the ground. It's not just the crowds that will disappear, even his closest disciples will, one by one, starting with Judas and ending with Peter, uh, leave him and he will be all alone. Why is that? Why is this rule misunderstood, misinterpreted? Because the truth is the crowds never understood him in the first place. If you look at down at verse 10 there, uh, to that question, who is this? And the answer in verse 11, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. See, they think they know everything about him. They know his name. They know where he was born. They know something about his job. They think they know him, but in reality, they know him not at all. And they're making a mistake which all of us can make too. It's no good being enthusiastic about Jesus if the reason that you're enthusiastic is that you think he's the kind of king who will just give you whatever you want, who'll do th- or who'll do things the way that you expect. You see, the Jews, it seems, are keen to be saved from the Romans. Jesus' disciples want a place of honor, want some, some credit and fame and, and, and privilege. But Jesus offers them something completely different. And so the last thing to think about, just for our last few minutes this morning is this. What is it that we really want? What do we really want in in, in life from Jesus? What do we want? If a a superhero, we were thinking in in family Bible time earlier about superheroes, If, if a superhero walked into the room right now and said to you, I have the power to give you whatever you want, 
I can solve all your problems. Uh, whatever you are dreaming of, I will give it to you. Whatever you think is going to satisfy and fulfill you, it's yours. I wonder where your mind turns. It's a, it's a really revealing question, isn't it? Where does your mind turn? Offered whatever you want. What is it you want? Well, the message of Palm Sunday, combined with Good Friday, for all of us, is this. There is someone who, kind of in a way, can or could do just that. A king who rules over all things with absolute power, all authority, and he's willing to use his power for you. He's your king. He's for you. But he has his own agenda, and it's a completely upside-down one. And the chances are Jesus has a different idea of what you really need than what you think you really need. Because whether or not Jesus gives you all you dreamed for, and, if, and let's not forget the thing most in his mind is, is not kicking out the, the Romans, um, but it's a rather bigger matter of defeating the devil, doing away with death, forgiving your sin, bringing in a, a new and eternal kingdom and a, a perfect remade world. Whatever Jesus gives you, it's not likely to come in the way that you thought it would. Which I think is just our experience as Christians, isn't it? He, he loves to surprise us. He, he, he does give us loads of, loads of blessings, but often he's, just, he's just working out his, way in his, his plans in his own way, isn't he? He defeats his enemies through humility and weakness, not through ordinary displays of power. So even if Jesus does give you what you're truly longing for right now, chances are the way he's going to do it is not the way that you would plan it. Chances are it might well be a painful one involving some suffering, involving you being humbled. For us all, it's going to mean waiting for eternity for all of the blessings that God has for us. And it might mean the illness that we're craving to be to be relieved from, does not leave us till eternity. It might mean that that strained family life, that stress at work, the financial worries, the relentless busyness, whatever it is that comes to your mind when you think of this painfully broken world that we live in, and all of those things that we long to, to disappear and to be healed and to resolve and, and for us to experience that, that beautiful peace and satisfaction and, and rest that we crave, all of that might not go away until eternity. And so the best measure of how well you know Jesus is how satisfied you are with having him as your king right now and having to give up all of your dreams and submit to his agenda for your life right now. The best measure of how well you know Jesus is how gladly you say, Behold my king, this is my king. I trust this powerfully humble one to do whatever is right. I can give my life to him. I love him and I will follow him. How satisfied are we saying that? No matter what other problems and issues in our lives get sorted and how quickly they get sorted. 
So as we behold our King this morning, the call to us is to be willing to let go of any of our hopes and expectations for our Christian lives or our lives in general that don't marry with this humble and serving and suffering King. Behold our King. Behold this King and love him and follow him. In the book of Revelation, chapter 7, there is another scene described, uh, which is quite reminiscent of Palm Sunday, a throng of people surrounding Jesus, giving praises to him, waving palm branches, as they do in, in, uh, in, in the first triumphal entry. And they're shouting out praise, and someone says, who, who, who are these people? And the answer is given in Revelation chapter 7 in words that are true of you and true of me if we follow this king. So listen to these words as I close and, and, and imagine them to be spoken of you. Know them to be true for you if you're one of his. Who are these people? Well, they are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night. They shall hunger no more. They shall thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of their throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Point is, there is great tribulation in following Jesus. There's no denying it. But it's this lamb on the throne, the suffering, humble, dying king, who's going to guide us through it, keep us safe in it, and wipe away every tear. Behold our king. Let's love him. Let's bow the knee to him. And let's follow him.